0: hello everyone and welcome to another episode of mastermind the film in this episode i'm interviewing eric rubens from collective strangers collective strangers is one of the communities nft communities that i'm most excited about and it's all about photography so it's for photographers for people who are collecting photography those who are getting started those who are already advanced eric himself is a pretty distinguished photographer in his own right so it's great that he created this community and we're also going to be discussing the mechanics of what the pass gives you as well so join me for this interesting episode with eric Welcome, Eric. Welcome to mastermind.fm. It's great to have you on the show. And I'm really excited about learning about yourself and the project as well, Collective Strangers.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat as well.
0: As I was saying, I'm here to learn as well about yourself and about the project. But I'd really like to spend some time talking about yourself and how you got into photography, because I know that there's a very interesting story behind it. So let's start about yourself. Who is Eric? And, How did you get into photography and eventually think about NFTs, starting the community, et cetera, et cetera?
1: Yeah. um, I mean, I think I have a very untraditional entry to art and photography in particular, just compared to other peers of mine. Um, I don't have any formal background in art or anything. I actually, kind of to take it way back, I was traveling, playing tennis. I started playing tennis when I was a little kid and you know, I was an All-American in college, won a national championship, and I was traveling around the world playing tennis tournaments. So I think that early introduction to traveling at least maybe kind of sparked my creative eye or at least my desire to kind of see the world and, and share the beauty of it. But I never took photos at the time, right? I was just playing sports and training and stuff. And then after college, I went and got a job as an electrical engineer. So again, completely the opposite of, of art or anything creative, really. I was at my desk. I was designing stuff, very analytical and technical thinker. And I got to the point a couple of years into my job where I I felt just like a little unfulfilled sitting at my desk all day and just kind of doing all this stuff that that was very, I guess, introverted. I wanted to just get out there and talk to people and and just be a little bit more interactive. So I kind of made this pledge to myself that I would go in each day doing something just for myself. So I would go to the beach every single day at sunset and watch the sunset or go surf or go on a run. Uh, Luckily, I lived in San Diego, right by La Jolla, which is a very beautiful area. And I started going to the beach and I got really lucky in the sense of this was timing wise, right when Instagram had come out right in like 2011 or so. And so I started sharing iPhone photos and I kind of had this budding passion and like a really good platform to share it on. And there was no vision for it to turn into anything at all. It was just really cool for me in those early days that I could share something and Either someone else in San Diego would see it and comment on it or someone on the other side of the world, like in Spain or France or Germany would be like, oh, I went to San Diego, you know, a decade ago with my wife. This brings back a great memory. So I remember thinking that that was so cool that I could kind of inspire excitement or a cool travel memory or at least encourage someone to go travel just by taking a photo of my hometown. So that encouragement and, and kind of drive and motivation got me to go take photos every single day for four years. I I shot every day for four years in a row. And I naturally started getting, I think, a more kind of trained eye. And I started learning over time how to kind of edit photos that I guess would make them a little bit more eye-catching, or at least what I, my style, I always wanted to kind of showcase the sunset in the most grand way possible. So I didn't want to have like a muted film kind of looking photo. I wanted to be able to analyze this scene and emphasize it and make it as Beautiful as I could, so I think that's kind of how I got into my editing style um, over time. But yeah, so I, I started off, and for years there was there was no vision for it to ever turn into a, a profession or anything like that. It was just solely an after work hobby. And I started getting some local companies reaching out, and I was doing trades, you know, with local companies for like a couple products in exchange for some photos. And then my first real big okay, opportunity, can I can I
0: just stop you right there because I think it's yeah. very interesting. Because I know there in the community there's a lot of aspiring photographers and I mm-hmm. uh, in general, I think what you did about shooting every day is pretty impressive, you know like I also live i've been to san diego and i' I live in Barcelona, which is super nice, yeah, but somehow I still have to struggle against myself to say, go out every day to train or to to go to the beach stuff like that yeah. that's on the surface, appears like why wouldn't you, you live in Barcelona, you live in San Diego? But still, being there, it takes a lot of discipline. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering how, or if it ties back to your days training hard at tennis, all that discipline and yeah. creativity, both elements. I'm curious how much those early days helped form these two aspects of yourself. I, I'm yeah. also very into racket sports, and I play mm-hmm. badminton, which is. Uh, <laughs> which is uh, the biggest sport here, racket sports, so to speak. So so I'm also interested from that perspective.
1: Yeah, I think undoubtedly, I mean, undeniably, the sports played a major role in terms of when I decide to do something, I'm extremely driven and almost have tunnel vision on doing whatever it takes necessary to succeed. I'm actually, for, for better or for worse, extremely competitive for my sports days. So it's something I have to... Always tell myself to turn off when it comes to the art world because art should never be competitive. It's not really about you know competing for sales or for followers or any sort of vanity metrics like that. It should really just be an internal kind of prospect of growing you know yourself and your art and your vision and that kind of stuff. So I have to always tell myself it's it's not a competition. You know it's not you versus somebody else. <laughs> Leave that behind in the sports days. But yeah, so I think. It's definitely very hard to go do anything for years in a row. And especially, it's even harder to do something for that long without any sort of return on it. So I wasn't like making money each time I went out and shot, right? It was just, I didn't make a dollar for four years. I, I didn't, never made a single dollar and I didn't even get a job. But for me, I think the biggest benefit I had was that I was doing all of that just purely out of passion and just out of fun. And I think that that was really important because. Back then, Instagram, there, there was no monetization behind the platform. There were no brands that were committing any resources to it. There were no agencies that were, you know, doing all these big jobs for all these companies. Back then, it was just really more of a, a social creative platform, um, much different than what it is nowadays, right? And what it's turned into. So, mm-hmm. I think if I had followed the same exact path nowadays, I probably would have had my vision probably altered just based on. You know, people who are big influencers now and like all the money that's on the platform, and I probably would have a much different mentality. But truly, back in those days, there wasn't really a vision for it to turn into anything like that. So I think that just that going out years and years and years of just shooting and sharing was just purely for fun. And just it was so cool to get followers. And getting followers, like I said, was wasn't a monetization strategy. Back then it was just So cool to me that I could share San Diego and like my early travels with more people in the world. And it was, it just meant more conversations for me and more people I could network with. There, there was no money strategy behind it. So I think that was really important because I think nowadays people might have a little bit of a different. Vision or mentality when they are going to, you know, start being very active on social media, they might kind of have this end goal that they're trying to get to. And I think that that can be a little bit demoralizing if you're not getting the results that you want, because now that you already have kind of this notion in your head of what you're trying to get to. And I didn't really have that. I was just kind of just Mm. doing it purely for
0: fun, like I said. So, how important was it? And I'm not sure if it was important at all. To be able to connect with people, to especially in those early days through Instagram, shooting a photo, and then having the response of the people. I'm I'm asking because nowadays, I see the big Instagram influencers that just post something and they almost never reply. Right? There's a million yeah. comments. Was it different back when you started, and was it important for you?
1: Yeah, it was. It was very different when I started. Um, I mean, there were still people who had bigger followings at the time, and I remember I wrote them. Like either DMs or I'd write them a comment on their post and they would never respond to me. And that was incredibly just like demoralizing and a little frustrating because I know they would see it. Right. So I mean, I always made this pledge to myself that if I ever did grow a bigger audience or following, I would always try to spend a significant chunk of time being responsive and being accessible to people, which is something still to this day. Like If you go through my Twitter posts or my Instagram comments, or you can't see my DMs, but I can tell you, I have the same exact mentality when it comes to this. If I ever see a question, I always will try to answer it because I almost think it takes more time to read the question and then to decide not to answer it than it does to just... (laughs) Answer the question. I mean, that's right. I I don't. I don't see a benefit in withholding information. I don't think that I possess any sort of industry secret to my success that I need to hold close to my chest. I feel like it's more beneficial for me to help raise the level of the industry as a whole than it is for me to try to establish myself as one of the best and and withhold information from other people. I I just don't see any benefit from that over time. So that's like, I guess one of the biggest kind of fast forwarding to this project before we get into it. That's kind of one of the biggest passions I have has always been teaching, has always been accelerating the learning curve. So realizing things that have been, I guess, hurdles or challenges for me at different stages of my career and trying to help People get through those quicker so they're not hung up on things that I think are pretty trivial or that they don't need to be hung up on. Um, and, and just really analyzing how we can push the industry forward and scale the industry because I think that, that helps us all over time, right? Like I don't think it it helps if if we're trying to just focus on individual success or individual growth. I, I feel like since this industry is so early, I feel like it's on all of us a little bit to educate and to try to bring in you know, Web2 companies and and help them have a path to success in this space. I feel like that just helps us all over time.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, so true. And before I interrupted you, we were talking about uh, your trajectory, sort of how you started with Instagram and then actually got your first pieces of work, maybe some barters or some free stuff, and then the first few jobs. So
1: one of my first big breakthroughs was I had Jordan, um, Jordan Board of Tourism, the country, reach out to me. And that was my, I guess, one of my first big moments were like, wow, there's countries that are investing significant resources into this. So this was their first ever press trip they had done like for social media. So I went over with a bunch of photographers. And at the end of the trip, I got to sit down and have dinner with the Queen of Jordan, Queen Rania. So that was an incredibly... Opening experience, like I said, and I think I came home with a little bit different of a mentality where I almost had like a little bit of a fire lit inside me that I, I finally saw that this could turn into something bigger than maybe I had ever realized before. So I started, you know, investing in nicer gear, I started trying to travel a little bit more, I started trying to shoot with a little bit more of a creative eye, and I, I think that was kind of a big step forward for me. Shortly after I signed with this really big agency called Laundry Service, they were the biggest, they were actually the first. Social media agency at the time. So they repped Nike, Beats by Dre, Michael Kors, Toyota, LG. So I started doing a lot of big commercial shoots for those clients of theirs. And that really helped my resume. So I started getting like a lot of, you know, big companies on my resume. And I, I kind of followed that path for three, four years. I signed on to Sony's global team in 2017. That was huge for me too. So now I shoot the launch of most of their cameras, electronics, lenses, all that kind of stuff. And then Biggest kind of career breakthrough for me in the last few years was signing with United. So I do all United Airlines like travel content around the world, very close with their marketing director, social media director. And that's been a big key to in the world. And like my photos are on all the backs of all the TVs, on all the seats in their global fleet, and then airports and on their app and really cool stuff like that. So that's been, it's been really cool kind of just seeing all of that work come to fruition and just kind of see. I guess, like some of the photos that I take just end up in all these different travel places around the world. It's very surreal, but I just want, I guess, it's good encouragement that I can kind of help people get to that level too, because I know what it takes not only, I guess, time and commitment wise, but also a lot of just really good strategies when it comes to building relationships and how, you know, it takes. A significant amount of time as well, investing in those relationships and maybe like proving yourself and over delivering before you can kind of have those major breakthroughs with bigger brands. So I feel like I'm in a really good position to advise people and to help people. And whether someone's entry level or, you know, a year or two into their career or even like really well established, they're maybe just not looking at a couple of things that would help kind of accelerate their career to the next level. So yeah, it's kind of
0: where I'm at now. Awesome. I'm sensing a bit. So I'm a bit like when I get something that I'm interested in, I go all in and I kind of do whatever. If it's photography, I do photography. If it's content, I do writing, you know? But without the expectation or plan, let's call it a plan to make money off it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm getting this sense now that you, you got into photography, you just did it for the love of photography, maybe for some inner need uh, instead yeah. of just having a specific plan on how this will lead you to even become a photographer, right? Because that's not right. what you studied. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really interesting. And I love when I meet people like that who are, are chasing something quite apart from the money not because they don't care about money but because they know that when they chase a passion the opportunities the money will always come later you know so that's pretty interesting
1: yeah i feel like the the interesting thing i guess the biggest realization i had was when i was an engineer when i was working hard and i was saving money what was i spending it on I i ended up spending my money and saving it to travel the world and all my friends who Work incredibly hard in like traditional jobs and they're bankers or, you know, investment and work at hedge funds, all that stuff. And they, they make really good money. They only get a couple of weeks off a year. And what do they do with those couple of weeks? They go spend it on a really nice vacation um, or two. And so I guess I came to the realization where, well, why don't I just kind of take a shortcut and like, why don't I try to make my job revolve around things that I would probably be saving for anyway? So the way I see it is like, Whether I make more money or not, my engineering job is kind of irrelevant to me. As long as I can, I guess, take the trips that I would have taken anyways, and still, you know, do good in other capacities, I feel like I'm kind of just achieving the same end goal anyways, on on my own terms this time. So I I guess it just comes down to in life, like, what what do you prioritize? Like, if you were going to be working hard and earning money, like, what would you realistically be spending it on? And is there a way for you to kind of get to that level in another way on your own terms and doing something you love? And if the answer is yes, then I would say you should just go all out trying to
0: find a way to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And um, so, so let's take it into NFTs now. Mm-hmm. From uh, you are doing the, the job for United, I guess, was well, it already yeah. happening? And then at some point, you, you must have stumbled down the NFT rabbit hole.
1: Yeah. So I was doing tons of of social media jobs campaigns around the world. I was signed with like Sony and United at the time. This is probably back in 2020 now. So I started coming across NFTs from like JN Silva and Dave Krugman, who are two Sony photographers as well. So I've known them since 2013, 2014. So almost going on a decade now. Um, and JN in particular had been posting about crypto and stuff for a long time. And Dave had started all ships probably back in like early 2020 or maybe even 2019 and i had seen him on instagram posting about nfts and stuff and i remember i wrote him in i think july 2020 i was asking him like what is this stuff and he said oh it all happens on twitter you know you got to go over on twitter and i was like man i don't have time for twitter i'm i got on twitter you know 11 or 12 years ago as well when i got on instagram but just to be successful in one of the platforms, you almost just have to go all in on one thing. And I was, I spent 99% of my time on Instagram, and Twitter for me was just sharing photo sets. I didn't really see a need to invest in that platform as well. So when Dave told me it was all happening on Twitter, I was like, oh man, I got to go spend more time on Twitter. So I started following like all the accounts he was following and a lot of, I guess, probably like some of the early thought leaders in like the NFT space. And it was like a good, four or five months of just learning through clubhouse rooms and through Twitter and reading, asking questions. So I I think I first started taking it really seriously in November, December of 2020. And and that was when the focus started shifting away from Instagram for me. And I guess my realization came down to uh, on Instagram, I already had half a million followers. And I thought if I could keep spending all this time on Instagram, I, I just didn't see the return on my time investment being the same as if I got in early into NFTs and Web3. I truly thought that I once I started believing in technology and seeing how I thought it could revolutionize almost every industry that I was involved with, I thought this is my first opportunity to truly get on the ground floor or something, right? Like I didn't have, even though I was early to Instagram, I didn't have a say in how the platform was molded or shaped. When I got onto Instagram, the platform had already been developed. I was going to be a creator on there. I was going to you know, grow an audience. My path was already pretty well-defined at that point in time, despite being on there incredibly early. And for me, When it comes to Web3 and NFTs, I truly saw it as like the blue ocean feeling where you're just out there and anything you want to do or innovate or try to come up with, you're probably going to be one of the first people to do so. And I thought that that creative freedom and getting in so early was probably something I never had had the opportunity to do so before. So that was like the early conviction for me that I should probably take all those hours that I was dedicating towards Instagram and stuff and shift them to learning and becoming an expert as much as I could in blockchain and Web3 and NFTs. And so started focusing, like I said, end of 2020, spent months and months. I was in no rush to mint or to jump into early. I still thought that I had a lot to learn. So I, I spent a good six months just being a sponge and learning and networking and meeting tons of people, meeting the artists, meeting collectors, all that kind of stuff. And then finally minted my first work in May. I sold a few one-of-ones on foundation. And then I came out with a collection of surfers called Ocean Intersection. That was a collection of 50 of my best photos of surfers that I'd taken over the last 10 years. And it wasn't surfer photos necessarily. like No one's actually surfing. I wanted to make the distinction of when they're getting in and out of the water because I always loved the emotion of that moment. I remember just seeing like surfers are always running in when they're going to you know go surf for the first time it's like the excitement of that moment like they had a long work day and or there's like an hour left of sunset so they're always like running with full excitement and then when they came out of the water it was it was equal emotion but it was like a different type of emotion it was like gratitude you know they're really appreciative I had a good session just like always turn back and look you know to watch like one or two more waves before going home so I really appreciated like that moment and that interaction and so I came out with a whole collection of kind of capturing that moment and the best kind of sunset moments I had of of that little experience over 10 years or so. And yeah, sold out in three minutes, which is pretty crazy. So D's was really nice to host a space on it. And I sold out all 50 at 0.5 each, which is pretty surreal. And I think it's done almost like 150 ETH of secondary, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my first jump in. I got into super rare shortly after, and I think I've sold 10, 10 pieces on super rare to all different collectors. Um, I sold an edition earlier this year um which did really well, I sold 150 at 0.2 ETH each and that to me was a really cool way to provide a uh, easier point of entry into owning my work and I also thought it would be really cool if I was going to be actively building projects in this space that I could kind of have a cool way to reward people who invested into my work so I basically said anything I build in this space if you hold a piece of my work whether it's a one of one or an edition or anything um, you're always going to have you know, reserved access for anything I do in this space. That was kind of a cool way for me to to make that happen while also have people collect, you know, a cool piece of art. So that's kind of been my experience learning and minting art and now starting a project as well.
0: Really interesting. Before we talk about the project, uh, out of personal curiosity, perhaps, I think, and I think most people have heard of 2021, 2020, maybe, as the of the CryptoPunks, Bored Apes, the yep. FBs mainly, a bit of generative art, Tyler Hobbs and all that. But photography seems to be something that's either starting now or, I don't know, I, I I really haven't heard of any, maybe that's just me and my perspective of things, but it seems to me that there was a lot of stuff happening even late 2020 and last year. So
1: yeah. I think when I when I first got into photography, like when I first got into Web3 and learning, like photography didn't really seem like it had a place here, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, the, a lot of the inir- initial conversations I had on Clubhouse was trying to discover how photographers would even participate in Web3 because there was almost no photography and everything was, was like 3D animated work or like, you know, that kind of stuff. And I, I didn't do that stuff. And I thought that I had to do that in order to participate here. So I actually downloaded... Blender and started trying to go through tutorials and like learn that style of work. And, and I just didn't have a passion for it, right? Like you can instantly tell if Mm -hmm. your heart's not into something. And it was kind of sad for me that I, I would have to do this in order to have an active place in the NFT ecosystem. And I'm so glad that we kind of moved away from that mentality and like photography now has a home here, because I could tell, like, I wasn't going to make it if that was going to be what, what I had to do in order to, you know, participate here. So I think, in twenty twenty one you saw photography start to pick up like a good amount of momentum. saw people like Drift and Kath, who had Justin, who had really cool stories behind their work, you know, succeed and kind of rise to the top. And I think that that's it's really cool because on Instagram, you know it's a lot more algorithm based and it's a lot more around are you kind of appeasing the formula and kind of consistently you know checking those boxes? And I think in this space, people are on average looking more so to invest in someone's journey and they're looking for mm-hmm. people who have like really hard to come by really unique really special stories. so justin with twin flames how he like lost you know his twin in the womb and like he's gone around to uh, you know telling the story of all these other twins in the world like an incredibly cool story that i don't think i've ever seen before but when he posted all those photos on instagram they they didn't do that well, you know. Like you can go back and look at the likes and the engagement he was getting. Like it, it wasn't anything special. But then in this space, you know, of course he was like pretty early and got in with the CryptoPunks community, which is really cool, and they kind of gravitated behind his project. But I just think it's so cool to have a story like that and to come out with a body of work like that and to have it, you know, reach the heights that it has. And you've seen the same thing with like Drift and his story and Cath you know, traveling the world and and coming up with incredibly unique compositions after living in in her car, I mean, shows extreme dedication to what she's doing as well. And Mm. I I just think it's really cool to see who has done well in Web3 and and the stories that they kind of bring to the table.
0: Yeah, no, no, it's very interesting. Super interesting that uh, Justin Aversano wouldn't have had... That kind of impact on Instagram, but added yeah. than NFTs. I, mean, I don't know about Drifter, but it seems to me that those kinds of photos would do well on Instagram. I'm not sure... How yeah, they do, they do okay, but there's there's a lot of rooftoppers, right? So I mean, like I've seen photos like
1: drifts, like people climbing roofs and you know taking shots with their shoes over. Like I've seen those for eight or nine years on Instagram, and of course they do well, but there's a lot of people who kind of do that stuff. And and he climbs with a lot of other people who take incredible stuff too. There's other rooftoppers on super rare and stuff, but in the difference is in this space, like drift is so confident about telling his his story and his story is is so unique and incredible and like just really a testament to him kind of surviving and and just being extremely dedicated to his craft. And I think that like I said, when you're looking to invest in artists and their journey and their vision, I think that this space is kind of prime for that. And people have really kind of bought into how incredibly unique his story and his journey is. And on Instagram, when it comes to like the algorithm and people It's just not the same, right? I mean, like it's just you're. It's different box. It's a different kind of process. Sharing art. Are you saying
0: then that uh, so kind of Web three or NFTs unlock this journey of the photographer in ways that other platforms haven't? Or could it be that they just were early? Like, is the doubt for me: is it that they were just early into the NFT space? There was money to throw at photography, and they were the first, or is it actually something? in NATO and NFTs that unlocks the storytelling and you know makes makes it possible for photographers to capitalize on that.
1: I think it's it's undoubtedly both, right? So I think the first factor is Instagram is an incredibly uh visual media first platform. So in terms of sharing your story and getting really in depth and having those like really deep conversations with people, Instagram is not really a good platform that's conducive to that. You can't really get to that level that you do on Twitter in terms of like getting deep into threads and sharing your story and having those conversations that are out open in the public. Like you're not going to go into an Instagram comment thread and have like really good dialogue and banter that everyone's like, Actively reading and engaging with. Like it just, it's not a platform for that. Mm -hmm. So I think the fact that the NFT space operates on Twitter has lent itself more towards the storyteller, the person who's really comfortable sharing their their story and having those kind of conversations, hopping onto Twitter spaces as well as something that you know, Kath and Drift and Justin have done really well. They're able to have a good platform right there to share their story with hundreds and hundreds, sometimes thousands of people, right? I just think Instagram is just, it's not, it's not the platform for that, right? It's a lot more Mm -hmm. for posting your work regularly, like visuals first, here's, you know, thousands of photos on a grid of, you know, everything you can do. It's, it's more for like laying out your portfolio, right? And for brands to kind of see your comprehensive body of work, where Twitter allows you to slow down, share a single image and really dive into deep on the conversation and stories that go into that image. So I think that, of course, I think being early is incredibly important as well. I mean, it's impossible to know though, right? Like if Justin came out, Last week with Twin Flames, would it reach hundredth floor in the amount of time it took to? You know, it's it's impossible to say. Like, of course, it's it's great that he was a pioneer in this space, and he was probably rewarded a bit for being one of the first people. As was you know, other people who have been really early to this space. But how how can you compare? You know, I, I think there's still a lot of room for people to come to the table with incredibly unique and and you know hard to come by stories. And I think that they will find success in this space overall, whether it's floor in a collection, you know, hard to say, probably not, but you just, you just never know, right? Like it's such a momentum driven industry that all it takes is, you know, some people will start buying in and believing it and sharing it organically. And then you've just seen how projects even just really start to snowball over time.
0: And have you seen a typical profile of a collector when it comes to photography? Because... I I could probably categorize like the types of profiles of people who invest in PFPs or communities, and they are a bit different or generative art even. Yeah. There's a, a big difference, for example, at least from what I've seen between people who invest in PFPs and generative art. Yeah. I'm wondering I wondering mean, what kind of people invest in photography. So, I mean, I'm trying to think back
1: to like most of my collectors, at least on like the super rare side, because those are like typically the more, they're coming at like a higher price point. So they're a little bit more of a serious, like one-of-one collector. But I know at least a few of them, like NorCal guy is a good example. Like he had always collected art prior to the NFT space, as as did a couple of my other like one-of-one collectors on super rare. And I know that they were always like a little frustrated in browsing the traditional gallery experience. Oftentimes, like they'll have an assistant working there and they'll never actually get an opportunity to talk. To or build a relationship with like the artists of the work, especially the bigger artists, right? Like they have multiple galleries around the world and they have people working in those galleries. And like whether or not you actually get to talk to them and have like, you know, accessible conversations with them is it's a lot more rare. And I think that's one thing that the traditional art collectors have grown to really appreciate about this industry is that, you know, if you want to have a conversation with me, you know, I'm I'm accessible to all my collectors. Like they, they text me, they DM me, like we talk. A lot of us talk like almost every day. So I think they've found it really cool to find artists they love and believe in, invest in them, but also be able to develop that relationship with them that could last, you know, three, five, 10, 20 years. You know, it's pretty cool to be able to follow that trajectory. And I do think a lot of them, it's not like art versus PFPs. I know, I know a lot of like my one-of-one collectors, they do like flip PFPs in order to, you know, they'll take 20, 30% of, you know, the money they make and they'll invest in art that they love because for them, This is like a long-term vision thing they want to build an incredible gallery of art that they own physical and nfts and their way to do so is to kind of flip pfp projects and kind of invest into things that they love on a more longer term basis as a result of that
0: Mm, very interesting
1: that's like the same thing for me like i i flip i don't flip as much anymore but typically in the past when i have flipped pfps or when i've sold out my own art even the first thing I do is I go back and try to see some additions I can buy or like a one-of-one artist who I've been kind of eyeing. I invest a percentage back into other artists every time I sell something. So it's it's been really cool for me to kind of build up like a little collection as I sell my work as well.
0: Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I want to come back to photography and NFTs as a niche. But before that, since we further started talking about community, I want to talk about how important community is for a photographer. Mm -hmm. And then also segue into Collective Strangers and why you started that community.
1: Yeah, I think community is probably like the most important thing that we have, right? I mean, I think that without supporting each other and pushing each other to get better and sharing work, I think it's... Art, art in general is kind of a bit of a lonely um, journey is at least how I found it, right? I mean, like you go out and typically when I go to sunset at my local beach, like I'm alone in the creation process. And, and for me, I always, I enjoy it. I love photography. I love, I get so excited when it's a good sunset and I have to go, you know, make something happen or when I'm traveling and I, I see a place for the first time. And I typically in the creation process, I'm always alone. Like I said, and then I go home and when I edit and try to bring the work to life, I'm alone again. And so really the first interaction for me when it comes to anything in the whole art creation process is when I go share that. And so for me, like when I see other artists, you know, interact with it or other, you know, collectors or art appreciators, you know, they they comment and they they love the piece or whatever, like that, that interaction and that social part for me is the first time I ever really have any sort of social encounter on my art. So I think for me, and I don't know if I'm different than other artists, but I would say like I create 50% for myself, but 50%. Just to hopefully inspire or bring happiness to someone else. Like that, that is why I shoot sunset. It's why I edit vibrantly. It's why when I write, I'm always extremely positive. My captions are never negative. Like my interactions on Twitter are almost always optimistic, always positive. I'm a very upbeat, you know, person in general. And I think for me that is probably a big reason why I create the art that I do is that to hopefully kind of spark that excitement in someone or to to turn around a day for someone that's having like a rough day to kind of, you know, hopefully, you know, bring a little bit of happiness to them. So I know a lot of people, when they talk about art in general, they, they create for themselves and art is like a very, you know, self self self-centered, create the creation process of it at least. But for me, I just, I kind of look at, full circle, right? Like I, I definitely enjoy the social element of it. So that's why for me, the whole community thing around art, um, I love seeing other art. I love sharing art. I love interacting with art. I love it when people engage with my art, you know, in some sort of capacity, hopefully positively. (laughs) But for me, that's, that's why community is so important is because I feel like at each stage of someone's journey and becoming an artist, I feel like they're there are certain things you need and i feel like when you're starting off you know it's, it's really important to be around other creative people i think especially when i was starting off on instagram you you asked me a question earlier about the creative community on instagram like early i think for me being around other photographers early was probably the reason why i became a photographer right like i was able to go to these insta meets and and go you know see other how other photographers saw the world they would you know shoot in a puddle to get a different perspective or they would you know go do things differently than I would do. And I started, I started seeing the world differently over time as I saw how other people kind of created and did things. And I think you naturally start to kind of borrow all these different elements of things that you've seen that have kind of turned out really cool when you start to try to put your own little spin on them. But that sort of social interaction was really important for me as I kind of grew and developed my own style. So I think that that's important for us to kind of be there for each other to provide feedback to hopefully provide inspiration and creativity and all that kind of stuff for others as they go through their own creative journey.
0: Super interesting. And uh, so Collective Strangers, uh, what led you to start it and what's it all about?
1: Yeah, so I think for me, um, in looking at Web3 as a whole, I thought that Everything was very much skewed towards the professional. So I thought that all the platforms out there, like super rare is, you know, you have to film an interview to get on the platform foundation up until recently was invitation only makers place. All of their platforms are pretty much, you know, you need to apply to get onto OpenSea. of course is, you know, open for anyone, but good luck really posting your work out there and having like collectors come across it and natively find it. I think there's just way too much noise on that platform. So I think when I looked at that and I thought most of the DAOs are curation boards who, you know, they need to choose your art to be shown. I was really asking myself, like, how does the average person have a path to participate in this space? And I think right now everything's so skewed towards the top 0.1% professional in the world that there's no one really focusing on the foundation. And when I go back and look at why I became a photographer or why I think photography had this kind of renaissance in the last decade, I think it was mainly because Instagram and in its first Five years, so 2011 to 2015, it was actually a mobile-only platform. You had to share a mobile photo. You couldn't upload a photo taken on a professional camera. And I think for someone like me, that low barrier to entry, there was no competition. It wasn't about who took the best photo necessarily. It was just very organic and accessible to every single person who had a mobile camera to start sharing, connecting, learning, and kind of just find you know your path. And that allowed someone like me, who was an engineer with no photography background whatsoever. To really just start sharing every day and, and kind of find this creative inspiration that ended up making me become a photographer. So in going back and thinking about that whole experience and and all the things that were beneficial to me in kind of becoming a photographer, I looked at Web three as a whole and I was like, I don't think any of those things exist in this kind of ecosystem as we currently see it. So that was kind of the big drive for us is like, how do we focus on the foundation? How do we build an accessible way for people to share photography? to collect photography, to not feel intimidated by oh, all these platforms, like only want the best artists in the world. You know, you can't, you have to have a $6,000 mirrorless camera and be sharing, you know, incredible art. No, we want to make a way for you to share a mobile photo or a photo from your travels. That's special to you. And really put the focus more on the story behind the photo necessarily, not necessarily like the best photo in the world out there. So that, that was kind of like the drive and ambition behind, I guess, the mission statement behind the project was just to make, photography more accessible and easier to share for everyone.
0: First of all, yeah, I, I had forgotten about Instagram being uh, only possible to upload photos from the camera. Yes, yeah, long time ago. That's, but... why, that's why it drove a lot of innovation in, in the especially with the with the iPhones, no? And uh, yeah, 100%. But uh, yeah, what what you're doing then that definitely makes a lot of sense given that perspective. So, are you targeting creators are also collectors? The audience we're
1: hoping to attract with Collective Strangers is, it's not really just one specific audience, because I think, like I just said, a lot of the platforms and projects and DAOs out there have their tunnel vision set on a certain type of creator. I think for us, clearly just identifying every single person who's participating in Web3 is probably someone who has a mobile camera in their hand. Everyone out there, I guarantee you has taken a photo at some point in their life, and I know for a fact everyone, when they travel, they have moments that are special to them that they enjoy sharing. So if you look at your thread, like a text thread with your parents or your friends, you're typically sharing like raw mobile shot photos with them. You're not, you know, editing, going home, editing the photo, getting this super high end product, and then sharing it with your friends. You're really just sharing like raw, raw, unedited, organic moments. So for us, we're hoping to kind of build a home for for those special moments. And like I said earlier, I think a lot gets lost on trying to put out the best work or be competitive or trying to keep up with like a professional photographer. And I think that that intimidation scares a lot of people away from participating. And that level of intimidation didn't exist for me when I was just starting off. So I think it's incredibly important to build a home for people, no matter what level they're at, whether it's entry level, so like you're, let's just say you're purely just, you know, you travel a couple times a year, you take photos on your iPhone and you enjoy sharing them. You have no aspiration of being a professional photographer whatsoever. Like I think that our platform's for you. If you're a year or two into your career and you're looking to figure out how you can maybe get your first commercial job or, you know, what, what steps you could take to get to that next level. You know, I think our project's for you too. Same thing. If you're someone like me, who's 10 years established into the career but maybe you know you're looking to network with other collectors or other big creators who have good connections within the industry you know we want to build a home for that as well so we're really trying to make it so that regardless of the level you're at from the absolute beginner to the the best in the world we want to be able to provide value to you in some sort of way
0: hmm. that's very interesting so actually I joined from the collector ma- mindset because I've been spending like the last year full time collecting NFTs and stuff but I hadn't done photography yet. So I wanted to learn. For me, the the best way for investing is getting to learn how the mindset of the creator, why he's creating NFTs and what he's trying to share. A lot of what we've discussed already. So that's why I joined. However, I was an amateur photographer in my teens and early 20s. I, I had completely forgotten. I still have the camera and everything. I've completely <laughs> nice. forgotten about it. <laughs> and then you released the, the community submissions. I don't know what it was called exactly, but it kind of forced me to look at myself as a creator again, which was yeah. super interesting. Like, whoa, I need to select a photo. <laughs> Am I a creator? Like, it, it, I was it's, so
1: happy that pr- that project turned out so good. So we got 600. 600- almost 650 out of the thousand passes. And uh, for, the,
0: for the listeners who aren't familiar, if you could describe what it, what it was all about.
1: Yeah, so our, our first kind of community project, and I guess it was a little bit of a social experiment as well, was everyone who was holding a pass had the opportunity to submit a single mobile photo. It was mandatory that it was shot on mobile for a couple of the reasons I just discussed. We wanted it, it to be a level playing field, not about like the best photo you've ever taken, but more so about the story behind the photo. So if you had if you had a pass, you know, and you only had one photo that you could share with someone else, you know, and you have an opportunity to share like one special story, what kind of photo do you share? So a lot of people chose like an impactful travel story or, you know, trip that they took. Some other people shared special, you know, their favorite hometown spot. Other people shared their pets that meant a lot to them. But that was a little bit of kind of the social experiment was If you can only tell one story, you know, which one do you choose to tell? So it was really interesting to kind of just see the completely varying spectrum of shots that people shared. But it was also really cool to kind of, like I said, mandate it to be mobile only. Some people were frustrated because they wanted to share like their best images, but I just think it was really cool for a lot. I know in particular, a lot of people told me that. They were happy it was mobile only because they didn't feel that intimidation, right? They felt like everyone was only sharing iPhone photos. So, oh, cool. Like, I'm not worried that it's just a, a mobile shot. You know, that was like an excuse for a lot of people was like, oh, it's not good enough to share because I shot it on my iPhone. And we were like, no, it's, it's share the story behind the photo. Like, and, and I think we were blown away by a lot of the stories behind the photos. Like, there was a really cool one about this, like a silhouette of this woman standing next to a stroller. And if you just looked at the photo, I mean, the photo itself was just a completely average photo, you know, like a mobile shot, just kind of okay quality. It was just whatever. But the story behind it was incredible. This guy shared how he saw this woman like kind of standing like somber next to the stroller. And she had just, they went up and talked to them. And I guess she had just lost like another kid or something in like childbirth. And It was just like a very impactful story that you would never know from first glance looking at that image. So I think that that just goes to show that the power of photography and you never really know the story behind the image. So going back to the collection, we got our goal was to get 300 to 400 people to participate. And we ended up getting almost 650. And a lot of the people were like big collectors who had never, ever shared a photo or minted a photo before we also got a lot of people on super rare who, who were so careful about their curation and probably would have never had the opportunity to mint like a, a BTS random iPhone photo of packing their bag for a big trip or like taking a photo on a, on a trip that was just shot on an iPhone. So we provided a really cool opportunity and home for a lot of moments that probably would have never been minted and and might've just kind of gotten lost in the shuffle out of fear of not being good enough or just not having like the right opportunity to share that moment. So after we, had our submission window closed, we did this random airdrop. Every single person who minted a photo had their photo sent to a random person in the collection and you received a random stranger's photo and their story in return. So the coolest thing was about the whole, I guess, social experiment was that we ended up getting hundreds of people minting and collecting their first photos. And we also built hundreds of new relationships in the space across you know, the creative sector. So you are now the collector of this other person's work and people were just naturally started talking and just, you know, I think that's, that's the coolest thing for me was, was that relationship building element because I think that that you just never know where that's going to turn into, right? Like could be a lot of new friendships that came out of it. could be business ventures, could be trip inspiration. Who who knows? So I think that's like the the most exciting and rewarding part for me.
0: Yeah, no, it was a fantastic, uh, fantastic experiment. And I think it was also my first, uh, my first photo that I collected, <laughs> kind of breaking the ice, right? Because I was like so stressed about how to find a good photo as to, or, or photographer to start collecting. Yeah. I, that now I have, I have one, you know, I can start my there Deca Gallery first photo NFT <laughs> and start adding. Yeah. But that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it was, it was cool. I mean, we're going to move on to a lot of other things as well, but I think that was a really important thing to start with because. Like I said, it was just like a very entry level way for people to kind of feel comfortable sharing, you know, either a personal story or their hometown or something close to their chest. And it also gave everyone the ability to feel like they were good enough or, you know, like your work is good enough to share. Just feel feel comfortable. And like, here's a here's a home and a platform for everyone to participate on.
0: Uh, and just to rewind a bit um with the collective strangers the pass could you share like the number of passes that there were the mint price and when when you actually started cuz i i kind of get lost with the timelines in the nft world
1: we minted two or three months ago at mm-hmm. um 0.2 eth for uh, 1000 passes so we originally were aiming at 3500 passes but we settled at 1000 um I think that was a really good number for us because I, I think going back to some of the really key things that are important to me is accessibility. And if someone asks a question, being attentive and being able to get to it. And I thought if you start getting a, if we open the discord right away to every single person who wanted to join and we have thousands and thousands of people and we made it more of like a numbers game of like, oh, let's see how big we can grow our discord to. And people are having all these interactions and asking questions and like, there's not, not enough people to like answer them. I feel like that wouldn't be useful for me. So I think we really wanted to kind of hone in on a community that we could build relationships within. And also we could provide individualized attention to people so that if they asked a question or hung up on something or needed portfolio review, or they they were about to launch a collection and they wanted to get a second opinion on it, we would actually be able to get to them as a community and their questions wouldn't go unanswered. So we settled on a thousand, we sold out um, <clears throat> in a couple of days. And OpenSea featured us like right away on the homepage, which was really cool. I mean, our, the mint price went from like 0.2. The floor went to like one ETH while well, all while I was sleeping. I was on a shoot in Mallorca for United. That was nice. <laughs> I went to sleep the second it sold out because it was a very stressful like day. And then I woke up and there was like a hundred ETH of volume and the floors at one. And then OpenSea took it off the homepage and the floor people who bought in, not knowing what the project was, all started like selling it. And I was like, what is it? people were in like the discourse saying, like, what anybody know what this project is? Like, did you, why did you join them? So that was like a really interesting thing for me to see like how price dynamics and like the flipping mentality works. Like that was kind of it's pretty weird. And then people were like, Why why is the project decreasing in price? And I was like, It was at point four. And I was like, it was minted at point two. What do you mean decreasing?
0: <laughs> it happens sometimes when your partner with, I, I don't know. I, I must have, uh, heard about it through a partnership. So sometimes yeah. the partnerships work in your favor for minting out, but then it got a lot of people who trusted the curation of the project that they were in that, that partnered with you guys. So then, yeah, like, why, why isn't this pumping like everything else? No?
1: <laughs> we did official collabs with, um, proof, moonbirds, doodles. Yeah. Okay. Um, got into from um, proof then. Yeah. yeah, so we had some great collabs with like some really big projects, but it was it was really interesting because, yeah, we had 43,000 people sign up for PreMent, which was insane. And then I, I noticed that, like right after we had picked all the winners, I would go into the Discord and people would be like, "Oh, I won preMent for this. Does anybody know what this project is?" And I was like, why, "Why did you sign up if you don't know what it is? Just, it was just really weird for me, and I, I think we, in retrospect, we came out of the gates as being a little bit too niche. So I think that's one thing that's kind of held us back just a little bit is that there's, uh, I guess, this kind of perception of us that we're a project for photographers and we're trying to shift the narrative back into like, look at look at Instagram. Like, I'm not trying to compare us directly to one of the biggest tech companies in the world, obviously, but if you look at Instagram, they're a photo sharing platform, but they've done a really good job at... You know, they're not a platform for just photographers, they're for anybody. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity for us to kind of have that same narrative. And that's, I think, what we're really trying to focus on is we want to build the biggest Web3 media sharing platform and project. You know, and I I think that it shouldn't be intimidating. And I don't think that we should have this perception that we're only for photographers. But a lot of our marketing early on and a lot of our community is the photography community, right? I mean, like a lot of people were excited to truly have. A project focused on photography. So I think a lot of the early messaging that went out and just the fact that we had 40 to 50 super rare photographers who are pass holders and a lot of like a partnership with super rare. I think just the narrative from the beginning was like photography project, And so people who weren't photographers are were probably like, well, I don't have, there's no reason for me to be in that project. But we're really focused now kind of moving forward on just kind of showcasing different ways that we can be a project for everyone and sharing, you know, all those in-between moments of life that every single person has, regardless of whether you're a professional or not.
0: Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so let's move on to the PFP, right? You're releasing a PFP soon. Why yep. on earth would you release a PFP? <laughs> so let's let's get into that.
1: Yeah, I think for us, um, so one of, one of the cool, Cool things is like all the people you meet in your travels. You know, like it's one of the the biggest joys I have in traveling is just all the stories you have. So I think for me, going back to one of my coolest trips, I I was doing this job for Four Seasons in Hawaii, and I got to sit down with this artist named Nick Kucher. He's a Four Seasons resident artist, and he designs clothes for like Patagonia, Hurley. um, Incredible artist. So I sat down and like listened to his story, and I watched him sketch. And he had such a cool like vintage retro style and. I mean, you you've I don't know if you've seen his work or not, but if you go to his website or his Instagram, it's it's just such a unique style. And so as I saw all these PFP projects come out, I kept thinking, like, man, it'd be so cool if like an artist that I knew who had a really unique style could could do something that was for like the traveler out there, the creative out there, the, the person who's going out and experiencing all these different things in the world. So I think when we decided to do a PFP like six months ago, the the vision was never like money, money driven or numbers driven. It was more so like we want to build a project for our community. And I'm trying to think of a way that hasn't been like an art style that hasn't really been brought forward in this space yet. And so my, I immediately went right to this guy. Cause I just think his style is so unique and cool and his line work and his attention to detail is so he's taking like a fine art approach to this. So he's, that's why it's taken so long is cause he's, he drew out 389 layers by hand, one by one. Um, and we're talking like multiple revisions of each of those 389 to the point where he's like obsessed with how each one turns out. So I just think it's, it's really cool to, as someone who's been, I mean, I got into board apes when they were like around two ETH, I got into cool cats early doodles early. So I I've been in focused on PFBs and just, you know, seen how this space has evolved and grown for a long time now. And so I feel like if I didn't have the experience of kind of being on the other side of it, where I could craft it for, all the things that I've always wanted in one and also do so with an artist who I've loved for a long time and whose art I have hanging in my house. I think that it's just really cool to kind of see everything come full circle. Right. And to be on the other side of it for once versus just kind of buying into someone else's journey and, and then just kind of being that, I guess a passive participant in the ecosystem. So it's exciting for us. It's a really cool way to, uh, there's a lot of kind of Easter eggs and, and things we haven't quite dropped yet, but there's, there's going to be a really cool way where our PFP interacts with photography um, in a way that hasn't really been done so before. So we're really hoping to kind of bridge the gap between the PFP community and the photography kind of artist creative community and kind of uh, find a way for those to kind of play together uh, without alluding to too much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Could it be compared, say, like, because I think Proof and Moonbird set a kind of new example of having... A community focused on promoting, in this case, artists, in your case, photography. But then going into PFP is just to bring in more people because it's more popular, it's more accessible, and then tying them into the same community and have them maybe level up or or just mashing the two interests together.
1: Yeah, I think our vision long term is to have the PFP be a way to grow the community and for people to... Participate in a lot of the photography and media sharing innovation and kind of stuff that we're working on. So all the stuff that we're building, like I would imagine that you would just need to hold the PFP to kind of participate in a lot of these kind of wider kind of community initiative stuff. And then we're going to kind of focus on the 1000 core passes as being a lot more driven towards like photography and professionals and skilled and partnerships. So like all the, all the big commercial brands that I work with, like Sony and United and all those four seasons as they slowly start to try to migrate to web three and have initiatives and projects that come out. Like I'm going to focus on like, that would be a good example of that would be for the one K community, right? If we have courses come out or partnerships or contests and that stuff like that's going to be all driven towards the core main community. And then the bigger community will just be, like I said, a way to participate in kind of the ecosystem on, I guess like a a wider, um, not as like narrow vision kind of level. So eventually we're going to find a, definitely like have a little bit of a delineation between the two different paths. But I think the 1k core is always going to be a little bit more focused on skill, precision, craft, collabs, contest, that kind of stuff.
0: That's, that's yeah, makes sense. And uh, I recently saw a question, and I don't know if you decided about this, but you are thinking of opening up the Discord to non holders, right?
1: Yeah, sure I, we had a vote on taken. it. Uh-huh. We had a vote on it. And it was like, 200 something to four. <laughs> I thought it would be closer to 50 50. But I mean, I think in general, if you look at discords across the board, I think there's been a lot less participation. Um, I've noticed even just in, I'm in, I'm at one, I'm in Moonbirds, um, even Doodles, like a lot of them I've noticed, just like a lot of the chatter is kind of just, just dropped off. I think it's a little bit of market sentiment. So I noticed like even just in our Discord, it's been a little bit slower. So I think people, the people who are serious, like they want to just have a little bit more of an active environment. And I think that a lot of people who are photographers, like a lot of their friends are, are maybe just priced out or maybe they're just passive. They're not necessarily like investing in NFTs at the moment, but they want, they want this Discord to be the home for art sharing and photography and travel in Web3. So I think that a lot of the holders originally saw value in having a closed Discord. Um, but I think we're going to focus on having like a closed channel for holders only where like i said a lot of the the lessons or the interviews or the the big activations we have with bigger brands will come to the closed community only but i think we're going to open up like a general photography channel with the hopes of being like the home for kind of web3 media sharing and photography and that kind of stuff so i don't think there's any harm i think it only helps over time kind of drive more prestige and awareness of our project if we can establish ourselves like i said as that home for every single photographer and person sharing photography in our discord so we'll probably open up a general a general channel for everyone um i don't i don't think that hurts the pass holder at all clearly, clearly if you look at the vote it was like 98 said open it up so
0: no, i was the, i was one of those who also voted yes just because i think The project itself has been a bit under the radar lately. Yeah. And I think the photography niche of NFTs still has a lot of potential for sure, but still not so many people are focusing on it. And personally, after spending a lot of time with PFPs, I kind of, as I matured as a collector, I started drifting more towards kind of supporting artists, getting to know them. Just because even myself, I started to shift more into the ter- the the mindset of a creator. Look, maybe I want to create generative art because I've started programming. Maybe I want to get back into photography because, I mean, there's photography NFTs. I know how to take photos. Why not? Yeah. Why not try it? You know,
1: I think there's a couple of things that are a little bit more rewarding on like the art side. Just like speaking personally from experience, I mean, I think that just over time, like imagine. I can imagine myself investing in art and meeting other artists and kind of growing. I can imagine myself doing this. I mean, I've been doing it for 10, 11 years now and I can imagine myself doing it for another 10, 20, 30 years. I don't know if I can imagine like being actively involved in the PFP community for like another 10 or 20 years. I just feel like over time, they've just become like really redundant. It feels like there's a blueprint that people like boxes, they have to check in order to make money. And then you've just seen so many kind of fizz out over time, right? It's just the, the amount that have kind of withstood like all of these market fluctuations over the last like year or two has been that you can probably count on like one or two hands, right? It's kind of it's kind of scary. And I think right now if you look at artists, generally if you if you invest in a serious artist, I think for the most part, they're going to probably be around here years from now creating and like that relationship and that person you're investing in is is probably a lot more likely to not fizz out within the next six months or something like that. So I think it's been a lot more rewarding just thinking about all the time we invest in this space. And what is like the return long term on all that time we invest? I hope it's substantial relationships. I hope it's improving at a craft. I hope it's like things that I can kind of tangibly point to years down the road that like, oh man, I was I was spending eight hours a day on NFTs and Web3. Like here's what I learned and here's kind of where I grew out of it. And if you're just kind of mindlessly flipping PFPs, I think it was gonna be a lot harder to kind of point to what you kind of learned from all those thousands of hours invested in it over time. I think it's it's great for money reasons, or it was until recently. <laughs> but I yeah, would say like so sure. it's, been a lot more, <laughs> it's been a lot more rewarding for me to invest in art or things to learn or relationships or that kind of stuff over time.
0: Yeah, I feel the same. I mean, I started probably Doodles was my first big project. I entered on like day one, basically. But again, I never really spent much time in the Discord. It was more about PFPs and what can we do with PFPs and then the licensing and all that. But all that is up in the air. I think we haven't yet seen anything or anyone define how PFPs will make money long-term, right? Or whether they will make movies, how will that money trickle back to the holders? Licensing, it's all works in progress. Whereas the art and photography industries, at least the traditional side, has been around for many years. Mm. We know what yeah. why you buy a photo, and I don't know about photography actually. But I, yeah. in the traditional art sector, there's there's history, right? And you you know what what you're doing more or less. So that's more interesting for me. Like also one thing I noticed is that getting to know the artists. Although I wasn't into art, turned out to be super rewarding because they have, again, like going back to the story, right? Why they created the art, what went into it, you know, and even this generative art, that's just a few boxes. Turns out there's a whole story behind it. Yeah. story, And then the, the journey on how they actually created it, the generative aspect, super interesting. And to me, like it felt much better, like in my heart, rather than spending all day looking at the stats on flipping, you know, I got to know the artist that's made my day. That's, that's great. You know, I learned something new. I know another new person.
1: Yeah, I think like, like I said, just now, I really goes back to kind of just analyze like after I've been doing something for a long time, I really like to kind of assess, like what has been my takeaway or, or have i grown substantially in any sort of way from all those hours that i spent doing something and like i said the pfps were great for financial reasons for many people for a long time but i hope that if you spend hundreds and hundreds of hours doing something like there's a little bit more return over time or for something that's going to benefit you like way down the road and i think if you're if you're judging the benefit of doing something purely on finances then you prime yourself for letdown over time right because the second you know you're not making money but you're spending the same amount of hours doing something i think you're going to become incredibly discouraged so i like to typically tie my excitement about doing something into factors that i can control so like a lot of the metrics that other people like using for success like money or likes or engagement on social media like a lot of those things you just can't really control So I don't really like to tie my success to that, or say like, you know, I'm going to be successful this year if I make two hundred thousand dollars a year as an artist, or if I get, you know, a million impressions a month is my goal. Like, I don't really like setting goals like that because a lot of the time, like I said, you 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 can't really control your engagement. There's just, or you can't really control when something's going to hit with the collector and they're going to buy something. Like, so I'd like to focus more on like, am I growing? You know, in terms of happiness, like right? Like, am I having these interactions? Am I meeting people? That's Pushing me forward in my learning stuff? Do I feel like I'm getting better at things? Like, am I challenging myself to, to learn new things? So, I think that's how I've learned over time as I've progressed through my career to kind of measure my success on my own terms instead of uh,
0: more vanity metrics, as I call them. Yeah, totally. Like, for me, if I got into collective strangers and it pushed me to pick up my camera again. That's already a success for me, like irrespective of what happens after with the mint price and all that. It's just that it pushed me to do something that's relevant to me in my in my real life.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's the biggest goal for me is like, I I think there's value in a lot of different value is measured in a lot of different ways, right? And so I think t- typically people want to look at a project like ours and say, what is the value in terms of the floor price? And I, I guess my challenge is I mean, our mint price ETH was like a a little over a thousand at the time. So I was like, it was $200 to mint our project. We immediately offered a photography course with two creators who have hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram. They have an incredible course where, where, I mean, I even learned incredible things from that course, give you access to, you know, all these relationship building tools. And like our discord is like, if you post a question in there, undershare your work and ask for something like, there's probably going to be an incredible photographer who responds to it within like 20 minutes. And I think just that ability to connect with to people, me today, <laughs> <laughs> that ability to connect with people over travel or over art or learning new things. I would challenge and say that that value is, is more so important than a floor price, whether the floor is like 0.1 or 0.2 or 0.5. Like I, I don't judge the success of the project in terms of that. I judge the s- success based on the level of interactions. We're providing you and and if we can get you to pick up a camera for the first time in three years, if we can encourage you or inspire you to travel to a place that you never thought you would go and you have an incredible time that you'll never ever forget. I mean, that that is the type of value I hope to bring to people long term because I think over five, 10, 20 years, that is incredibly more important than a couple ETH, you know, something like that. So I that's at least how I'm kind of measuring the success of the project is on those moments that you'll remember five, 10, 20 years from now. Awesome. Um,
0: I mentioned earlier that I wanted to come back to photography NFTs as a niche and I'd like to end, um, this episode on your take as a photographer who's been established for many years, but also as a collector of BFPs and other projects. How do you see, like, where, where are we in the photography NFT niche compared to the other niches and what, what excites you more about Photography and NFTs going forward?
1: Ah, that's a good question. I think that photography is still kind of just getting started and trying to find legs to run with. I think that you've seen people who probably aren't traditional photography collectors try to understand how to collect photography, and they're doing so by following like trends and what other collectors are collecting, which is, which is good and bad, right? I mean, it's, it's always good to kind of, Follow other people who are maybe doing things in the space and trying to learn from them because, you know, you're hoping that they have either a little bit more expertise in the area than you do. But the challenge with that is that it's lending itself towards being very momentum driven. Like I said, where, you know, just because one collector is buying something, then all the other collectors are buying it. And it's not necessarily for like the right reasons, right? I think that people should. Invest in art that they love first and foremost. I don't think that you should be buying art as an investment. Like no one really goes into an art store and like buys a piece on the wall in order to flip it like two months later. So I think that that's kind of a bad mentality that this space is kind of pushed forward. Is like, what is the investment going to be worth? Like, how much liquidity can I have in it? Those are all things that art has never really been measured by in the past up until now. so I think that art like where it stands currently and where, where photography stands in the NFT space is obviously in its infant stage. I think that people are really looking to invest into either people who are early on their journey who they think they can kind of maybe get in on early and, and kind of help springboard to the next level. I also think that people are looking to buy into unique stories, like we talked a little bit about earlier with like Justin and Kath and Drift, people who have just really hard to come by unique special stories and and their creation all comes down to like this incredible backbone to it all that really just can't be replicated too easy. So I think that people out there, like if I was encouraging someone who's looking into collecting photography for the first time, a couple of paths, you can take one find art that you love, you know, a, a destination that inspired you that, you know, you, you always, you know, th- have happy memories when I like South Africa is a good example for me. I, I love South Africa. I love I've been there four times. I'm just obsessed with it. So I would love to collect art from South Africa. I know if I saw it, it would inspire a good memory and it would bring me happiness. So that would be naturally something that I would gravitate towards collecting. So I would think encourage someone to think back to those special kind of moments in their life and what brings you happiness and try to collect with that in mind. The second thing I would encourage you to do is to try to find someone who has that story that is special, unique, or that kind of clicks with you. And invest in that person, you know, build a relationship with that person first, hear their story, um, decide if, if it, you know, kind of resonates with you. And if it does, and you know, you love their art, that might be a good person to invest with. And it, it might provide dividends for you, not necessarily financially, but, you know, like we talked about earlier, emotionally, you know, just, just those special moments and, and relationships that I think we value. In life, on we we can't really put a price on those, right? So I think that that's what I would encourage someone to really actively seek and search for if they were trying to navigate the photography or the art market in general.
0: Makes a lot of sense to me. I think the last question for me would be uh, photography and the tra- is there a traditional? I mean, there is a traditional photography market, right? And yeah. then we have the NFT photography market. What's the current uh, play between the two right now? And is there something specific that NFT, NFTs unlock? I mean, I'm, I'm sure the journey that we mentioned of the photographer is also relevant in the traditional photography space as well. So I wonder, is there something very big about NFTs as an innovation?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I guess like,
0: I don't think that
1: art or photography should have to have any like further utility, right? I mean, I think that mm-hmm. NFTs are a means to sharing like min- minting photography. I don't I don't think there's such a thing as like an NFT photographer, right? I just think the NFTs are the mechanism by which someone is like minting, sharing work and providing a digital token that can be collected and invested in, let's say. Um I think for me, I actively look for for kind of new things that I can do. So as someone who is you know, interested in building projects as well and and not just solely focused on my own individualistic art journey. I thought that like I said, I could use my token holders or like I could I can query who's holding a one-of-one piece or an addition and I can provide them whitelist spots or, or access or a PFP or anything like that. Like I, I think that's a cool way for me to kind of explore different ways to bring utility to art collecting. But I don't think anyone should feel a pressure to do so. I think that minting photography and and kind of immortalizing your work on the blockchain and having people collect that is just really cool in itself and there doesn't need to really be any further innovation outside of that but I I would actively encourage people if they are interested in it to to explore that. I think that there's there's a lot of things that probably haven't been done yet that we haven't even, you know, seen yet. So I'm excited to see where it goes, and I, I don't think that's unique to photography. I think it's just it's art in general, right? I mean, I think there's mm-hmm. we're, we're at such an infant stage of Web3 and, and <clears throat> NFTs, and I think that with PFPs, with art, with everything, there's probably going to be a lot of cool things that are done in the next one, two, three years.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you very much for for this really enjoyable chat. I personally learned a lot, and I hope to be more active within the co- the community and hopefully pick up that camera. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And always feel free if, if you ever have questions on photography or, or traveling or, you know, editing a photo or something, I'm always, always accessible where I'm sure you'll find someone in the Collective Strangers Discord who will help out as well. So yeah, hope to be a home for for improving and getting better.
0: Absolutely. And uh, to, to end off, so where can people find you? Like, uh, also, where can people read more about the community? And I don't know if we have a date for the drop yet for the PFP, or the mechanism, at least, which we haven't mentioned.
1: Yeah, people can find more um, on my work at Twitter, Instagram, Erubes One. Um, our project's Collective Strangers, so it's Strangers XYZ on Twitter. Um, PFP is probably uh, one to two months out. I mean, the the all the layers have been generated. We just really want to focus on telling the story behind the artist, telling the story behind the art. Focus on like the marketing, the networking before. We don't just want to drop it just to drop it. You only have one chance to do something right. I've learned that the hard way, like over the years, when it comes to. Capturing art, sharing art, like there's, there's no need to rush things. Like really focus on letting things have their moment, you know, in the spotlight and kind of telling that story before you feel the need to, to jump in and do something, especially in this market. Right. I mean, there's no need to rush into anything. So I feel like we're, we're still one to two months out on that. All collective strangers holders will get one free claim if you have a regular pass. And if you have a gold pass, you'll get two free claims. Um, so really just want to provide some sort of value and a cool kind of piece of art for our community so yeah
0: awesome all right so let's close it off here thanks again eric and yeah, uh, thank you for you having a pleasant me. day
1: thanks yeah you too thanks have a good one
0: hope you enjoyed this episode with eric and you're just as excited as myself about this community collective strangers and all that's coming up including the pfp I hope you enjoy these episodes about NFTs that I've been doing. So if you have any feedback, just reach out to me on podcast at mastermind.fm or you can also reach out via Twitter at mastermind.fm. If you're enjoying these episodes, again, you can leave a five-star review on iTunes. That would be really helpful and would let me know that I should continue down this avenue. So till the next one, have a great week.